0: Welcome back to the OIS Podcast. In this episode, Michael Oniszczak, President, Global Business and Innovation, Alcon, talks about leading the company through its departure from Novartis. He discusses the importance of customer and mentor relationships and some of what is special about working in the eye care field where patients can experience immediate improvement after a procedure. Let's listen to what he says. Hi, everybody. This is Asan Sadri, ophthalmologist here in Newport Beach, California. Also, uh, gen- general partner uh, and found founder of Visionary Ventures. I'm absolutely delighted to see my good friend. I haven't seen him in person and uh, get him on a podcast. He's su- super busy. Michael uh, Honest Chuck, who's at Alcon, president of Alcon and global now. I saw a, um, a promotion there buddy how are you man i missed you how's everything going
1: well things have been like everybody we've kind of been busy trying to just manage through the covid situation obviously uh it's been an exciting year for everybody and uh hopefully you know the customers that, that use alcon products feel like we've been supporting them through all these these very difficult times um but it has been an exciting time too. I mean, a lot has happened since we spun out of Novartis, and maybe we can talk a little bit about some of those experiences over the next uh period of time
0: yeah we were you know you and I met um uh, when in orange county and we were you were just alluding to it, and you you just basically came and took over the business and with your ex- experience in Boston scientific and just really the the tempo and cadence changed when you came and I think you know, you, you can tell it's a testimony to, we talk about in this podcast about leadership. And one of the things that I think is exciting is how do you, how did you change Alcon's direction? It was such a big company, established company, uh, given that it was within Novartis. And then, you know, how did you do that step one? Let's talk about that. And let's talk about the spinoff, because I think a lot of it um, is exciting what you sort of have brought to the table and what you've done. And in my own practice, I can tell you that the panoptics and the Vividi lens are just blown up and just given such great uh, visual outcomes to patients. So, you know, a lot to start with, and then we'll t- dive into your background um, yeah. for those of you who don't know, uh, Mike.
1: Yeah. Well, look, uh, look, I think it all comes down to the fact that Alcon and Alcon's brand is super strong. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where the partnership and relationship with physicians around the world, um, it, it kind of been fractured to be honest there was a separation between what the the company was doing and what the physicians and the and the community really needed us to do as leaders in the industry um, you asked the question what did we do or what was i a part of doing it was actually sitting down with the physicians and listening to them along with mike ball and and david endicott and and the u s leaders and international leaders to really understand what is it that we stopped doing that started to erode the relationship and the value that we were creating for our customers. And then, you know, really for me, it was just consolidating those talking points and bringing back to the organization and, and really saying to the organization you know we have an obligation as Alcon to lead this segment. Uh, our responsibilities are to really understand what the physicians need. And then we need to take those ideas and we need to turn them into products. And we also need to rebuild our relationship with major organizations, ASCRS, AAO, the US FDA, um, you know, the European competent authorities. We just had to get back to the basics of running a really good medical device company. And I think that that's what we, we journeyed to do. And that's what actually has happened.
0: Yeah, you know, and I think that's, for people listening, I think that's a monumental task because Alcon is not small, right? And then you're, you're talking about an era where now you're spinning off of Novartis. How do you translate that? Can you give us a little bit about in the war room, what that looks like? Is it, is it picking the right team? Did you have to change a lot of team members? Um, how did you make sure people had allegiance to your vision uh, and what you wanted to see happen?
1: Yeah. Well, the one thing I can tell you is anybody who's been in ophthalmology or optometry knows how how unique this segment is. I mean, the relationship between the patient and physicians is unique. Um, And the relationship between a company and physicians is unique. And, and, And the reason it is, is because we get perceptible outcomes, right? The moment that the patient gets off the table, they have a different experience. And they normally break down in tears, hug their physician, the, husband, the physician turn around, hug their rep. Um, you know, it's pretty unique. You don't get that when you're sticking in coronary stents. And so yeah. creating a vision as a leader is actually quite easy. It's just actually executing then against what it is that you as a leader are speaking to. And so for us, it was getting our R&D organization out with the customer. Getting our R&D organizations and our marketing organizations to speak together about what's most important, and then making some really hard decisions. Right, Uh, we we spend somewhere between seven and nine percent of our revenue every year in research and development. That's a stack of money. It's actually the largest eye care investment, greater than any other organization or most of the organizations combined. So if we don't actually focus those resources and dollars on the right target projects, we're wasting value. We're not creating the type of value that we can. And so as we worked our way through um, our, our own list of priorities and new products that we wanted to develop, we started to come on good ideas like panoptics and Vividi. And, and then we ran exceptionally strong clinical trials. Um, we used patient reported outcome instruments that helped us understand how the patients are going to experience the lenses. And then when we told the clinicians about these lenses, their experiences with the new technologies were very similar to what we got in the patient reported outcomes. So they felt like we finally have a trusted partner who's telling us the truth, both the good things and the bad things about these technologies. And now we have confidence to go put them into our practice. And all of that creates positive momentum, right? Um, when you start to win, the organization gets behind some of these concepts around collaboration and working hard together.
0: Got it. So tell us, uh, this Mike, for people who don't know you, tell us a little bit about your background. You know, we, we like to kind of, when we bring guests on, um, almost everybody knows who you are, but for those of you who don't, where did you grow up? And, you know, I know you went to Jefferson and then, you you know, you, we ended up um, coming out in industry, but... Tell me uh, a little about your background, your schooling.
1: Yeah, look, I, I grew up in Western Pennsylvania. Um, my father was a steelmaker, and my mother was a nurse. Right, so somewhere in the mix of that is where my personality emerged. Right, um, I grew up, went to to school in Western Pennsylvania, played college sports. I went to a Division Three school, so that's like you know, okay, that's like a really good club team. Um, but the reality was I graduated with a degree in business administration and psychology. Um, I, You know, the business component, I've always been interested in how you build a business. How do you build a company? The psychology piece is how do you actually influence people to go do things um, mm-hmm. yet yeah, that is really oriented towards what the overall objective is? And, and you know, I graduated university. My first job, I was hoping to get out of the steel industry because I worked in it all through high school and college. Um, my first job was selling chemicals to the steel industry. It, it was like, are you kidding me? And it was with Pfizer. So I thought, you know, I'm going to work for Pfizer, one of the great pharmaceutical companies. Here's your job offer. Oh, by the way, you're going to go sell dirt now, um, you know, <laughs> to the steel industry. And uh, it all worked out for the best because. I happened to meet a really nice girl who was Pfizer Pharmaceuticals. She's like, What are you doing in the steel industry? And I said, I don't know. And she said, well, Why don't you get into healthcare? And uh, I actually started as a sales rep uh, for a startup company called Danik. Um, and Danic was a spinal reconstructive company, uh, it was about 28. A million dollars when I joined it. I mean, the the whole industry was about 300 million dollars when I joined it in the early 90s. Today, it's Medtronic acquired us um, as sophomore Danic. It's their spinal reconstructive group, and it's probably still the largest spinal reconstructive group in the world. That's how I got into healthcare. Um, and it, and to be honest, the moment I got into healthcare, I knew that this was the right space for me. Because it aligned with my core values. Um, it, it helps people. Um, it, it, it's just it, it's a rewarding, fantastic career. and you're dealing with really smart folks every day. And that's what makes it fun, right? It's the intellectual challenges of running a company, but also having really smart customers that you get to work with every day.
0: So then so you, so you go into uh, Pfizer and you're now sales and learn sales. you're actually naturally gifted salesman. you probably didn't even need to do that. But how did you end up in eye care? What, uh, was it, Was there uh, roles? I think, you know, I know you were a neuro for a while. How, uh, tell us Tell us how you ended up in eye care.
1: Yeah, it's kind of, a, it could be a really long story. The, the reality is, is that, um, you know, I, I went to another startup. So after Medtronic acquired us, I went over and I, I started to work in cochlear implants. And cochlear implants actually restore hearing for the deaf. And there was a neuro program that was running behind that, which was spinal cord stimulation and deep brain stimulation. All three of those things have perceptible outcomes for patients. I mean, you see a, a Parkinson's patient who can't drink a cup of coffee, you turn on their deep brain stimulator and they can drink their coffee. Um, I started to really decide that my career was always going to be targeted towards these perceptible type of technologies, and, um Although Boston Scientific eventually sent me over to Europe to run Europe, the Middle East, Africa and Russia. um, I would kind of longed for that engagement with the physician, that engagement around R&D and things like that. And my son was ready to come back from Paris. My wife wasn't ready to come back from Paris. But, you know, when you have kids who are in high school and you wanted to have a kind of a high school experience that, that we've enjoyed in the United States. Uh, he was pretty convincing, and so I started looking. Um, Alcon had an opening in the surgical franchise, and you know, you you think about the great brands in healthcare, and you've got Johnson and Johnson and Medtronic, and then you have Alcon. Well, I I always thought Alcon was you know a really good company. When I got into ophthalmology and optometry, I realized Alcon's brand was way stronger than any other segment I've ever seen. Stryker, Medtronic, and J&J really don't have, I mean, every every physician knows Alcon, and I've never experienced that in my life. And so coming over to this organization and being a part again of something that is a perceptible outcome for a patient was really important to me. And then the other part of it is, is that Alcon's a super complex business. Uh, The surgical business is complex. The vision care business is a consumer goods business, the over-the-counter part and the contact lens part. And at one time, the pharmaceutical part was a part of Alcon, too. And I, I thought, look, if I'm going to grow my career and develop, learning consumer goods and learning pharma is a really good third leg and fourth, or you know, second and third leg of the stool for my career. And so coming over really made it interesting.
0: Tell us about your position now. So as your global role and how things are going, you know, compared to before when you and I first met um, and you had to steer the ship in the back in the right direction, like you were alluding to, how are things now? What is exciting for you now at Alcon? With, with yeah,
1: look, look, well, when I first came, I, we had a lot to fix, right? We, we were overburdened with a lot of things and we weren't really close to the customer. Um, My role today is, you know, now that we're an independent company, we've got an executive committee that, you know, reports up to the board. I report to the CEO. Um, Both the franchise presidents report up to me. So both the vision care and surgical franchises report up to me. All of R&D, all of clinical, all of regulatory. Right. So and, and what it has been is my job is very strategic. It is about where do we want to take this company? What are the places where we're gonna make investments? How are we gonna continue the growth trajectory that our shareholders expect and anticipate? Uh, and then how do I bring that into a strategic plan? Also with the external look of all the potential M&A that we could do, all the BDNL and deals that we could do, all the startups that are out there. How do we cobble together a plan that gets us to be a $10 billion company in 2025, 26, right? Um, And and so, you know, my responsibilities are really how do you marshal all of those ideas into things that will start to produce $100 million ideas and $300 million ideas to keep us growing. Um, And it's a ton of fun, right? I mean, I, I might have the best job in the company because I I get this big budget with all these levers, and I also get to have these fantastic relationships with physicians around the world who are guiding on, on some of our decisions and what we're doing. And we get to see the productivity of those conversations in the way that the company has kind of turned around over the last five years. So it's a it's a blast.
0: Yeah, I mean it must be especially when you are going the right way on the curve, right? So. Um, Along the way, Mike, tell us about, can you tell me, like, who are some of your mentors um, and, you know, friends and people you learn from? And, you know, and and also number two, are you mentoring any young people now yourself?
1: Yeah, look, I I think mentorship is incredibly important. Uh, and, And I have both personal mentors and professional mentors. On the personal side they're the people who, who keep you on track and keep you grounded, to be honest, right? As you start to ascend in your career, you can conflate how good you are at what you do. And the reality is, is I'm just still the guy who is pushing a broom in a steel mill. So those, those people remind me of that every day. Um, they also <laughs> challenge your character. Like, are you giving back? Are you actually developing others to be leaders in the segment and in the industry? Um and, and that is something that I really enjoy. But I think that mentoring and developing people is one of the foundational things that we as leaders are supposed to do. Uh, my job is not to, to lead this organization and not have somebody who can easily replace me when I, get, when I move on or when, when I retire. Uh, my job is to develop that leader because I care is so important. We need great leaders across the segment. So I do do a ton of mentoring. Um, the the professional relationships are also mentoring opportunities, right? I mean, I, you don't come into ophthalmology and optometry from neurosurgery and cardiovascular. I think you're going to be able to do this, right? You need some people who kind of put you under your their wing and they, they coach you through the optical system, which is way more complex than I ever thought it was when I when I thought about, you know, can I read it near or can I read a distance? Right. No, that's all I needed. Right. The reality is it's one of the most complex organs in the world. And that's why it's such a fun place to work. Um, okay. And so those relationships, those mentors mentorships are really between you know, physicians and me and then me and physicians who have really good ideas right uh, yeah. i get to talk to a lot of physicians who come up with really good ideas and i also get to steer them as to you know how do they protect their idea how do they think about is this actually something that a strategic or uh, anybody really would value i can coach them and and have those conversations as well and, and really hopefully um what I'm coaching them on and what they're coaching me on eventually turns into something brilliant for patients. So it, I, I love it. And it's one of the parts of the job that probably connected you and I, when we first started talking, because you're an innovator and you've, you've, you've driven your practice and grown your practice and you do things that others don't do. And you take huge risks and it, you know, it, it's rewarding and eventually it pays off.
0: I appreciate it. yeah, I mean it's chemistry too, right? I mean we, we it's either there or not there, right? When you meet a friend like you, and uh, I think that's the other thing that I find in interviewing, just interviewing people, but just meeting people, it's just their chemistry, and you can that translates into their their team really wanting to execute for them and kind of run through the brick wall. Um, ultimately, as you know, it's leadership, and it's you know what you guys have done is incredible since uh, you took over. Um, how there you just feel the momentum as a customer? You feel it. You see the products coming out and in, in different spaces. There's a lot of headwinds, as you know. But um, you know, I think. What do you think about COVID? Are you doing? Are you doing any strategic changes? Do you think things are going to come back? Are you doing virtual? What does that look like? Um, I know you, you said everyone's coming back to work, but do you see a hybrid model. Has it been um, helpful? I, you know, surgically, as you know, we were just talking earlier. We we're very busy, um, but it's hard to have the staff to help you man the yeah. ship, as they say, you know. That's, like, I'm that's, like, how come that... we're two months behind? Yeah. And so I'm like, I actually operate on Saturdays, you know, and Tina is like, what the hell's going on? What, what is he yeah. saying? It's like, I gotta, we got we demand. We got to go take care of business. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah. what are you doing on your end to take care of the demand? Well, look, I, I think that
1: COVID has actually accelerated a lot of conversations that we've been having for a long time, right? The challenge that we have is we have a massive population of patients who need treated. Um, We've got a narrowing of the funnel. So we've got a a smaller physician base than, than what the demand actually is. So one of the things that we have to think about and that we've been thinking a lot about in the strategic planning process is how do we ease the burden for the physician and the patient to have the right patients flowing into their practices and into the surgical arena where, where you are practicing, how do we make sure that they're getting screened properly and treated properly as quickly as we can? And so remote diagnostics and, and you know digital health systems, right? Nobody, nobody wants to stay in their office to do their preoperative workups on patients until seven or eight or nine o'clock at night but that's where the data is. We need to make sure that that data actually resides in the cloud and you can pull it down and you can, you can work on it after the kids are asleep or you know, as you're having your, your morning coffee, you can prep yourself and you can do that work that you traditionally would have to do in the office. Mm-hmm. So we see an evolution towards both improved diagnostics, simplifying the workflow in the office, and then connecting all of that stuff to the infrastructure in the cloud so that you can use it wherever you are and push it down to the operating rooms that you might be going to and we know many of our physicians operate at two or three different centers how do we make sure the data is at the right center at the right time too so we're working on all of those things and then from our standpoint you know i actually think that covid is going to help us move more quickly Uh, to have conversations like this. Otherwise, I'd have to hop on a plane, fly to Southern California, you and I sit down for an hour meeting, and then I, I spend another three hours flying home, right? We can Zoom now or we can do these type of calls and we can get information much more quickly. So I'm excited about that potential, but I also miss those personal interactions and that relationship building that's so important. And so, I hope that we get to a balanced blend of those two things because that's what makes it precious, right? It it is about building relationships and trust. And and I think that that's where the human connection comes in and where really good ideas eventually become really good
0: products in the marketplace. So, no, and you know, we touched uh, on that the the portfolio that you have right now in the next few years. Are there additional? Things you, you know, if you want to pass on to the new younger Mike that's coming up the ranks and that you think as both in the startup world, but also in a, um, in a you know, joining a strategic, like we talked earlier, what is, a st- what is the strategic look for in a startup? How, what is that? What are some pearls for the um, young entrepreneur to make sure they pass the grade? Right. Yeah. Um, what, are your, what are your advice there?
1: Yeah, look, look, and it starts with um, we can't do everything, right? I mean, Johnson and Johnson, Alcon, BNL, Zeiss—we're not going to invent everything. So we need these startup companies to be really successful. I think what they need to start with is what are the strategic gaps that strategics have? Um, where can we add value? Where can we create value? Where can we uh, target? you know, disease states that are currently not targeted. If you look across the Alcon's portfolio, you'd see a rather large gap in our glaucoma portfolio. You'd see a rather large gap in what could happen for dry eye patients. Uh, myopia is a is a, just a massive uh, opportunity that's out there. So start with something really strategic and important. Um, the second thing I would say is source your ideas and as you go through that, make sure that you're winnowing them down to something that has intellectual property that can sit behind it. Uh, IP is incredibly important as strategic to look at something because they don't want to buy it and then somebody knock it off quickly. So that intellectual property component is an important component. And then I think the third part is have relationships with companies and investors and mentors as you go through that process and listen to them. I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with people who have a really good idea and things that I wanna invest in long-term, but I keep telling them the one problem that they have to solve and they don't go solve that problem. They're like, oh, we'll deal with that later. It, it It's a little frustrating because we know what we're gonna have to do on the other side. We're gonna have to find a way to get it reimbursed. We're gonna have to find a way to commercialize it. We're gonna to have to deal with the cost of goods. Um, listen to the folks who are your potential targets and and take on board their advice and And sometimes that means you have to kill a project because you can't solve the problem. Um, but I would tell you if that is the case, your investors would appreciate you killing it early than dragging on an investment for a really long time where they don't actually see their return, right? So, It's hard to kill projects as a startup. I had to do it when I was with Advanced Bionics and and there were a lot of engineers who were upset by it. But the reality was, is if I didn't kill that one project, we would have never been able to build a deep brain stimulator, which was ultimately a growth driver and a value creator for our company. So make sure you're listening to to strategics and mentors.
0: And and that's really... uh... It's really good advice. Really good advice. I mean, there's so much there for those of you listening and, you know, Mike is so open and been very like transparent and, you know, a lot of people uh, text or email me and they say, you know, what do I need to do? That that's really refreshing because it's hard to understand and also get out of your own way. I think that's another thing I would probably add to that is, you know, uh, I, what I found is a lot of people are married to the project. um, Right. They they yeah. feel like they've invested so much time and capital, and they they don't want to hear <laughs> that you have to shelve it. Yeah. But um sometimes you just have to do that and move on, and and maybe stumble on something better. So we yeah. could talk for a long time, my brother. And I I just want to thank you for your time and how busy you are. Just um, and I look forward to seeing you in person. No more Zoom calls with you.
1: Yeah, Hassan. Look, I appreciate it. Thanks, OIS, for having me on today. Hey, look, we. This is how we get things done now, unfortunately, but uh, I look forward to seeing you and uh, I wish you all the best with your practice and, and all the patience that you're
0: serving right now. Thank you, my brother. All right. Take it easy, bud. Awesome. Thank you for listening to these valuable insights from Michael Anascheck. You can learn more about digital ophthalmic health topics such as Michael discussed by registering for the upcoming OIS Digital Innovation Showcase taking place on May 20th. And come back next week to see what we have for you on the next OIS podcast.